Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Chris Rosini, our co-host. Chris, welcome to the program. Good morning. Great to be with you, Dr. Paul. Very good. I want to talk a little bit about monetary policy, believe it or not. It's pretty important. Just think about it. The monetary unit is one half of every single transaction that goes on. So the monetary unit is something that a lot of people just don't talk about the monetary unit and the definition. And my claim is that's where our problems are, is because it was when they eliminated any hint of a definition of our monetary unit, the dollar, uh, occurred in 1971 when we, uh, you know, took the link to gold from, with the dollar. And, and it's been much more chaotic since then. But uh, I want to talk about a, a little bit about the definitions that occur uh, because of monetary policy, because there's a lot of stuff in the news day in and day out, and people are just hang on that to find out how much deflation is there, how much inflation there is, what percent of this inflation. So they talk about it, but I don't think a lot of people say, well, what are they talking about? Oh, well, we're talking about prices going out, the CPI, the PPI and prices of, uh, you know, goods and services, and that's inflation. And, you know, traditionally, if you look at most textbooks that most people in Washington ever read, and most of the economists that we see on TV, except for those from the Austrian school, uh, they, they uh, have a definition of inflation as, as uh, rising prices in goods and services. And uh, this, this to me, raises questions. I want to sort of emphasize today a little bit about the deflation, because they're terrorized by deflation. My goodness, what if, uh, in, what if the prices go down? Oh, well, that means the consumer's gotten a better deal. I think Chris is going to mention where there was a period in our history where that actually happened. And they didn't get upset about it. Matter of fact, good economic growth during that period. If the purchasing power of your dollar goes up, the prices go down, and uh, this is good. But it doesn't happen when you have a fiat currency. Uh, but that is not taught in schools. Uh, um, Mises uh, certainly was a great proponent of clarifying this because he, uh, he, he said that you shouldn't be careless on definitions and saying when prices are going up, that's inflation. If prices are going down, that's deflation. He says, that's done. I, I used to argue with myself and theoretically with him. I said, no, just, just have price inflation and monetary inflation. Call two different things. And he said, no. He says, this is done on purpose. This is to get people to think about, you know, why do prices go up? And they'll come up with all kinds of different reasons. Wages, wages are going up. There's been storms. It's the weather. It's who, who knows what. So they, they uh, don't, they want to concentrate on that and greed. This, they'll blame greed for pushing up uh, uh, prices. But the uh, whole thing is, is prices, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, go up for other reason. And Mises says that it's deliberately avoided the real definition, which means the Fed's involved. Government spending is involved. Debt is involved. They're the culprits. And you can explain the whole thing. You can explain the business cycle from that. So they don't want you to think about that because it's completely different. And uh, the, thing, the big thing that would be challenged if we had uh, more people getting their, at least their introduction to economics uh, from the Ron Paul curriculum, they would know there's, there's a big difference between the two. And that inflation 
uh, inflation would be related to money supply and other items, other, other issues, and uh, the uh, monetary system would be based on an understanding of the mon- monetary unit. So th- this, is, uh, this is why uh, you know, uh, it's wrong to be terrified of decreasing prices. Now, if you have real deflation, you might be talking a, di- a different story, but real deflation, the, the, uh, in recent history, the only time that I, uh, of significance where that has occurred, where the money supply shrinks, which obviously means the value of each unit goes up and prices, uh, prices would uh, drop because there's less, less money. So this, uh, this occurred in the early part of the 30s and because they didn't understand that and, and they thought it was, well, we have to have inflation. So they had the farmers, every, there were people starving <laughs> back in the depression. So they had the farmers plow in their crops thinking, well, the, 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 the crops are gonna go up in value, people will pay for it, and then we'll have our inflation back again. That's how silly the whole thing gets. And Chris, you've heard me in the last couple of years just mock the whole idea that one of the creeping threat to our economy has to do with the monetary system. And that is why they said, the Federal Reserve Board Chairman, sequentially, they always came up, our goal is to have 2% inflation. That means they want to steal uh, admittedly stealing 2% of the value of the dollar from everybody that holds dollars. Well, it's not as neat as that, but that's, a, that's the stupidity of the whole thing. And uh, the only thing, Chris, that I used to say when they were doing this and still say it, and that is, yes, they worked hard to get 2%, but they're not going to be happy when it comes because they probably will not be able to control it. Chris. That's, that's true, Dr. Paul. There's little doubt in my mind that inflation will eventually get away from them. But uh, I wanted to talk about a time period in our history that is totally unfamiliar to, to uh, what we're used to. And that is after Napoleon was defeated in the early 1800s, all the way up until World War I and when the Fed was created. During that time, money would consistently buy more instead of less. See, we're used to our money constantly losing value. People are gambling in the stock market. They can't make money in the banks. There's inflation. They're, they're constantly creating new money. Well, it wasn't always this way. There was a time in our history where money was more, it was sounder than it is today. It wasn't perfect uh, because bankers and politicians have always been creating trouble. They will always create trouble. But compared to today, money was sound. And we have no conception of how to live like this. You know, we have increases of money, whereas they had increases of goods, not money. They didn't care about how much money was being created. Their money bought more. There was increases of goods. Today, we have a government that pays people not to work, not to produce vaccine mandates, which people are being fired and let go. Again, it's going to hurt production, backed up ports, lockdowns. And at the same time, Fed is creating trillions of dollars. It's totally upside down. It's a bizarro monetary system. It will end very badly. We just have to have enough people, enough influential people to know what to do when that happens. Very good. You know, there are natural forces that sometimes uh, exist and permitted to exist. And the goal is really to 
cleanse the system of the mistakes. For instance, if an individual or a corporation or a country overspends and they have too much debt that they can't finance, the natural forces will say, liquidate the debt, get rid of the debt. Oh yeah, well, everybody could work harder and pay more taxes or, or just work harder for their own businesses and pay off the debt and work it down. And some people do do that. But the, the big problem is, is uh, uh, it's, it's difficult because debt gets too high, especially with a, uh, with a government. But the, the deflationary forces are, are there. Uh, and that's why there's always this danger of the stock market crash uh, because the inflation of the money supply and the speculation uh, artificially pumps up the, uh, the nominal value of these stocks. But the, the, uh, uh, the market forces say, well, they're getting too high and we, we have, they have to contract. And of course, that's a, a, a challenge uh, to the people who uh, you know, want, want to see the higher prices. But the, the, the goal is the market is trying to do, and also the government, and that is get rid of real debt. Uh, and that's different than just getting rid of nominal debt. But uh, to simplify it, if, uh, if, you have, uh, uh, if you have a debt of $10 billion uh, and a country owes it, and uh, if they double the money supply, they could still pay their $10 billion, but the money would be worth a half. So your real debt goes down. And, and they don't talk about that, but that governments really want that. That's why I think they were hoping and pushing, even though there was no need, no economic reason to deliberately inflate and destroy the currency, other than the fact that paying back debt would be easier. Because no matter what the government says, they and the people will end up paying back this debt but it's usually through the liquidation of the value of the currency that exists. And this is, a, this is a big problem because that's what they resort to, but it's also a big problem because of who suffers the most. It's, not, it's a messy deal. And the inflation is a messy deal. Some groups benefit from the increase in the money and the speculations, others lose. And the same way with deflation, the people who, you know, right now we know about jobs, people aren't screaming for jobs because they're getting checks from the government and the various things going on and there's there's still inflation in the in the uh, financial arena so they're not too worried about it. that's going to end though you can't create wealth out of thin air and you shouldn't be able to create money out of thin air so if you do that if you create the money in the monetary unit out of thin air the wealth really is a substitute for that and it doesn't go away just because somebody reads about it and says, oh this shouldn't be this way it takes a long time for it to change there's a lot of suffering. There'll be a lot of denial. You had to, to correct it, you have to challenge the status quo. You have to challenge the university professors and all the university professors who write the papers for the Federal Reserve. So there's a big, big group out there that has a stake in this. And that's why it's safe to say that uh, it's not going to be turned around gracefully. It's going to be painful, but eventually it will change because the markets are, are, are more powerful. I think about the distortion that we had uh, up until 1971 when we were printing money and claimed it was backed by gold at $35 an ounce. And we did that for decades, and some people say, you can't keep doing that. You can't keep doing that. But after a while, we used up all our gold where we couldn't defend the dollar, 
and, uh, and, and finally, we couldn't keep up with it, so we, we inflated the currency, we paid the debt off with cheaper money, and uh, that's not the way it should operate. It usually ends up in much worse conditions than they started with, and I think that's what we're starting to see in our uh, employment sector, in, our, uh, in, 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 in the smoothness of the way our economy runs. When I look at the ships out in the ocean and the Pacific, and all the disruption in our transportation, I said, it is not a result of free market economy. It is a result of failed central economic planning, and we'll probably continue to see more of that. Yes, and it will be painful, but we have to realize what that pain is. It's the end of the illusion. You know, many people in power, and even the many people themselves, believe in the illusion that has been created. So when that ends, that's going to be painful for those people. You know, uh, I mentioned the 1800s to the 1900s when there was sound money, and that was very good for all the individual citizens. It wasn't a illusion. It was sound. You know, but that was not a good setup for the power hungry. We see the power hungry today. We know who they are, you know, because sound money kept them in check, gold and silver. They can't counterfeit it. And if they wanted to spend money, they would have to get it from the people. And the people could say no, just like they say no to these vaccine mandates. No, that's it. So that the people held a financial restraint on government and the power hunger. <clears throat> so they wanted to get rid of that restraint. They don't like when the people have restraints on them. They don't want to ask you if they want to spend money. And that's why they, over time, got rid of gold, got rid of gold. Now you have this paper and digits that they can create until it's completely worthless. And as a result, we have government that is unrestrained by the people. They can create their money. They don't have to ask us for anything. They're about to, or they want to spend another $1.7 trillion. Do you think any of us have a say on whether or not they're going to do that? No. And this is what they've always wanted, unrestrained power. And unrestrained power always ends badly, painfully, because it's an illusion. And uh, again, we need to know what to do when that illusion collapses. Very good. You know, uh, it's, it's traditional that we speak about and we know about this type of a system increases the amount of debt because the, the, the um, money that falls out of the helicopters, uh, it's readily available to people and people take it and, and then it, it is turned into debt. And uh, it, we also know that when you debase the currency, and we've talked about it, the pr prices will go up just representing the value of the, the currency that's been printed. But there's another element that occurs that is not talked about quite as much, which I think is very significant, and that is what they call the malinvestment. They take the money, and, uh, and there's because it doesn't come from uh, in a, like in a capitalist system. In a capitalist system, you work hard, you make some goods and services, you use what you need to survive on, and what's left over is capital. Then you either reinvest it uh, or you loan it to somebody, and. Uh, but if it, comes, if it comes from lack of earnings and you don't know what real interest rates are, that's one of the big fallacies of this mess, is the, really the, the price of lending the money is unknown, and that's why there's so many mistakes. So there's going to be a lot of uh, malinvestment. And I was, I was thinking the other day, I wonder how much of the stock market, I wonder if you could call that malinvestment. I think you can. They're creating all this credit and the financial people, the banks and the and, uh, people who have access 
access to the Fed. They spend a lot of money. And guess what one of their little projects uh, is? And that is, you know, to keep the stock market going. And, and that's one of the responsibilities of the Federal Reserve is keeping the stock market going up and don't ever let it deflate. And they have to keep it going. So uh, it, it, it is estimated that 40 percent of the stock market rally in these several years back now uh, has come not from an increase in the real value of the company and the real earnings, but because, uh, you know, of excess credit and they and they buy back the stock. The companies have the credit. They're not investing in in new products and uh, expanding their capital capital uh, access to to the market. They uh, what they do is they buy back their stock. And just the other day, interestingly enough, to, to make this point, Facebook, uh, you know, had a little PR problem, and that was a little annoyance. Uh, I don't think we need to fret that. Uh, Facebook's going to disappear tomorrow, but who knows? Uh, sometimes when there's tremendous malinvestment and some of those, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, companies are getting into trouble no matter how many dollars they have. But in one day, Facebook's decided, oh, our stock is slipping. Hell here, we, we have a little extra money that we've been sticking in our shoebox here. $50 billion, you know, so they, they buy up their stocks by $50 billion. And the other thing that does, it serves the interest of the people who own the stock, of course. That's a lot of people. But it also serves the interest of all the executives because they get paid by the value of the stock. So it's, it's, there's a tremendous incentive. You wouldn't say they're acting irrationally. They're acting as one would expect. It's benefiting, and uh, there is no capitalist system. So what they have is this uh, corporatism and corporate capitalism, and that's why they did this. So they went ahead... Uh, you know, and they buy back, and, and that is not a solid foundation uh, for our stocks, and we will see that come to an end. Yes, excellent, Dr. Paul. I will finish up um, trying to look at the big picture. You know, we're all imperfect. We all have limited knowledge. But, you know, a superficial look at the world today uh, may make you think that the world is coming to an end, and a lot of people do think that. I refuse to think that. I know Dr. Paul does, too. One other way to look at this is maybe the bad is coming to an end, because if you look at all the major institutions, they're all losing credibility together. You have the media and the big tech, you know, all the propaganda and censorship has crushed their uh, uh, credibility. You have the government schools, what little credibility they had to begin with are now parents are livid all across the country, homeschooling is booming. Medicine, a major uh, you know, crony industry in this country, has moved from trust to distrust in a matter of just years. You know, People don't even wanna to go to the doctor or the hospital anymore. Who trusts them after all that has happened after these few years? You have the Fed uh, you know, where inflation and shortages are coming up. You have the empire where decade after decade there has been failed wars and there is no appetite for any type of war, at least among the people. And then finally, you have the politicians themselves. Does anybody actually believe that these are public servants? So all this big illusionary thing that has been created over the last hundred years could all be falling apart altogether. We don't know. I, I, I can't. I, it's a possibility, I would say. And what happens next is impossible to predict. But one thing that we're going to stick to is the ideas of liberty 
and what should replace this disaster that has been built up by the Federal Reserve. And that believe, that uh, comes down to individual liberty, sound money, free markets, and a government that is very, very limited and restrained. Very good. And, and I, too, obviously believe that uh, this thing is going to get worse and there's going to be a lot more chaos. Uh, but there will be a lot of challenges because the, uh, the chaos uh, is a consequence of bad policy, but it's also a consequence of deliberate uh, po uh, political activity because the true Marxists uh, from the very beginning, back in the 19th century, uh, was to make uh, whatever there, whatever remnant there is of free market capitalism uh, to, to wipe it off the slate. So they want total chaos. They want to get rid of everything and start from new and have idealistic uh, uh, Marxism. And uh, so they, they welcome the chaos and they contributed to it like COVID. Had, you, you know, there were enough reasons for us to have problems, but COVID and the overreaction certainly was a major factor in making, making this much worse. But the, the chaos is building and I think it's going to get worse but it's also an opportunity because people are waking up at the same time uh, people are, are complaining and they're going to school board meetings and they're letting the government know how they feel this is all good but uh, the people who want the uh, vaccine passports it doesn't you know logic would tell them they ought to give up that's crazy people the people don't want it uh, but no they're they're going to be determined and that's going to major major thing one other thing on, on science you, you know this uh, natural immunity which is, is which should explain so much but they're in denial even if you have a degree in medicine or in science you're not allowed to even talk about it you may be canceled for very for talking about one of the most important th things in immunology is uh, natural uh, natural uh, immunity you, you know uh, and why it's superior to vaccine see that's blasphemy from uh, according to them so that that is a problem so we have to contest that we have to have the answers and I think they're developing I, th I just don't think we have the microphone that is necessary to let everybody know you know really what's going on but I think what we're seeing so far uh, the people who are getting annoyed and they're uh, rebelling and, and resisting the government I think that's a pragmatic as a utilitarian thing they they haven't done this because of some philosophic uh, esoteric reason they do it because this doesn't make any sense. Why, why should parents be allowed to know what the school is teaching them? No, no, you're a parent, but you can't even look at the books. You know, that kind of nonsense. That wakes up a lot of people. So, and so that's a pragmatic reason. The, the other thing is, uh, is philosophic, you know, that uh, you have uh, educators who can explain, you know, fascism, socialism, and corporatism, and free markets. And we have uh, institutions like the Mises Institute uh, that uh, teach free market economics. And we participate in, in these uh, sessions all the time because I think that is very important that philosophically you can answer uh, these panaceas that, well, Oh, yeah, but we're socialists and we care about the people and we're going to feed them and just look at, uh, uh, you know, uh, the problems you have. And they blame freedom for the problems that we're facing rather than the already too, too much government. But there's one other element which I think is uh, uh, a powerful one, uh, but it's probably a little less popular to talk about. It, and that's the moral issue. I, you know, uh, most people know you're not allowed to steal and kill except 
our governments do a lot of that. I mean, our governments, you know, we actually assassinate people. We actually go out and, and, and get ourselves involved in coups around the world. But uh, really, the, there's a big transfer of wealth that uh, we participate in, which is immoral. And uh, Bastia in the law points this out so clearly. He said, if, if you or I can't go out and take our neighbor's stuff because we need it or want it, uh, then the government can't do it either. But it's accepted now probably by 95% of the people. Well, if you're, not allowed, if you're not allowed to do it, that's the government's job. Call up the government, call up your lobbyists, call up your, your, your representative and send him or her to go steal it, to redistribute uh, to the, uh, the, uh, the goods and services that you want. And, and it's, it's that argument of morality. Is this right or wrong? And uh, if you put that in terms that what the government is doing by the redistribution of wealth is morally equivalent to what an individual would do if they walked into your house and stole something because they needed it or wanted it. So uh, in those three areas, but I would say pragmatically, we're making progress. I would say philosophically, we are too. And I think when people hear the moral issue, they do understand it. Certainly the moral issue should, it should be readily apparent to most people on the money issue. They understand what counterfeit is. So the counterfeiters have always been put in bad light. And uh, here uh, we are complacent about the government becoming the counterfeiters. And I think people are waking up there. So yes, there are a lot of problems, but I think also that we still have tools in spite of all the shortcomings of the internet. There's still ways to spread a message. And believe me, an idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by the bureaucrats and, and the armies that want to police and tell us everything to do. So that, we're on the side of promoting this cause of liberty. And hopefully the, so many of you who have joined us before will continue our effort to promote peace and prosperity. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.